do church just a little bit different mm -hmm. than our Anglo-Saxon counterparts. Mm -hmm. And we would do, you know, we would have periods of mountain, which we would call in the South, catching the Holy Ghost, right. where they wouldn't do that in a lot of European classes because they looked at it as witchcraft, mm -hmm. or we looked at it as Vodun synchronized into Christianity, mm -hmm. or we looked at it as Santeria coming by way of South America. Snoo math is with my motherfuckers ass. You want to know how to rhyme? You better learn how to add. It's mathematics. Mighty most definitely. It's simple mathematics. Check it out. I'll revolve around science. What are we talking about here? Peace, peace, peace. It's Rakeem with Wise Dome. Today, I have a very, very special guest, my brother from Team Osiris, man. He's a great thinker. Um, he's been in the game for a minute, you know, uh, spreading consciousness and knowledge and information to the people. Uh, brother Kansu, man, I appreciate you for coming through. Uh, no doubt, man. No doubt, Kane. It's an honor, likewise. Thank you, bro. Thank you, bro. So I like to start from the beginning, man. Um, what was it that kind of sparked you to begin your process of, you know, self-realization? And what are some of the different places that it took you along that journey? Um, well, I started, you know, with my father. Mm -hmm. uh, he was in the 5% mm -hmm. uh, doctrine. And he was a Christian. You know, my mom was a devout Christian. She was actually in the Sunday school. And uh, uh, they allowed me to kind of be exposed to a lot of diverse aspects of social activity and religion and things like that. And, uh, you know, I had to be well-versed in the Bible in my house, mm -hmm. well-versed in the Quran, well-versed mm -hmm. in a lot of um, metaphysical things, being a 5 percenter. Mm -hmm. um, so at a young age, I was explorative, and I just studied different things like shamanism, Buddhism, Hinduism, um, different areas of science like mm -hmm. molecular physics and engineering, I just had a, an attraction. And mm -hmm. uh, as I got older, I started uh, studying my own personal culture. I started developing an identity. Mm -hmm. and started studying Africa. Mm -hmm. and, um, I was first introduced to Africa by way of Egypt mm -hmm. and studying Egypt. And uh, the people of Egypt, not necessarily the Ma'ats and, uh, you know, none of that. Yeah. That came way later. Mm -hmm. I was just studying the people and how they migrated, how they ate, how they lived on a day-to-day -day basis. And I just started studying the tribes and groups of people on the landmass of Africa and started learning the size of Africa, the different climates, stuff like that. Right. And it started leading me to a term called ontology. Mm -hmm. And it is like ontology means what is reality? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Right. And started learning different systems of ontology based on different tribes, like the Mandinka tribe or the Zulu tribe or the Fulani and how they different, they all had different ontologies. And in studying people, it led me back to Egypt and I started learning the creation stories around Egypt and learning the quote unquote, I'll use the term loosely, Egyptian ontology mm -hmm. and understanding what the, the knowledge of creation meant to different types of human beings. And then realized that me studying that, I was actually studying the epistemology mm. of the ontology. So <laughs> I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing? <laughs> right. I was doing that. So I'm studying the systems that human beings create in order to gain knowledge in the universe. So um, I was able to start disparaging, you know, especially in the conscious community. Um, a lot of us as Black people, we tend to think Afrocentrism 
is the ultimate form of African mm-hmm. ontology, when it's nothing more than a borrowed system from Greco-Roman uh, gnosis, wow. which is which was created by Herod. Mm-hmm. So if we're using books, let's say, for primary evidence, the type of the way that we study our epistemology was handed to us by Greeks. Um, and I, I don't really care. Knowledge is knowledge to me. But I wanted to be able to understand my African center. So I started studying African ontology and the way Africans assimilate scholarship. Mm-hmm. African scholarship is different than just, just traditional scholarship that we deal with in the West. Mm-hmm. Scholarship to Africans is like watching the blades of grass on the plane, mm-hmm. watching the movement of the planets. So it's a little different, you know? Yeah. And it led me into masonry. And then, oh man, it's on another story. Yeah, yeah, dope, dope, dope. We're gonna, we're gonna get into it. Um, and so a lot, and um, a lot of the uh, people that um, uh, follow this show, they, um, a lot of them are are really into, um, you know, uh, uh, the different, um, uh, I, I would say, esoteric natures of different um, uh, systems, and you know, and you start and you spoke about, you know different ontologies on in West Africa and in uh, ancient Kemet. Um, could you just give us a, an example of, you know, uh, like you, I think you spoke on the Mandinka on, ontology or just anything, you know, that, um, that you've picked up uh, uh, along the way in your studies, because I find it fascinating as well too, because a lot of times whenever you see different creation stories or you see different, um, uh, different ways of thinking from different uh different peoples in different regions a lot of times there's a similarity to it you know what i mean and even even if it's not the exact same so i just like to you know hear those kind of things so if you can just build on that a little bit yeah the ontological system is a system in which we ascertain reality and one of those vehicles is the theology of uh, that that rests within ontology. So there are a lot of theological systems based on cultural base. Mm-hmm. So let's take the Yoruba or the people of uh, the Congolese. They developed um, Ifa and Palomayambi, respectively. And those were elementals of nature. So they added a human aspect for relativity. So let's look at the Orisha. They represent different aspects of nature mm-hmm. and also our nature in the form of personality. Mm. So this would give way to an esoteric meaning in which things are written in allegorical prose so that we can we can get a relative understanding of how we operate as the sun mm. because we're byproducts of it. And so it was an archaic form of using science or what we call today astronomy um, to give us relative meaning atomically mm. and be able to render terms like matter, um, quarks, biaps things that we use modernly in the Western world was used anciently to correlate to our existence. Now, when I look at the, the Bantu expansion, which went from the West to the East, then we have the people of Egypt. Let's just say the people of Egypt or the people of Sumer, Mesopotamia, the Assyrian people. Uh, they would use anamorphic symbols, similar to some of the Adinkra symbols that are used in West Africa okay. to do the same thing. And this is where you had Memphis, Thebes, and Heliopolis, which were centers of creation stories in Egypt. Mm-hmm. The odd gods, the, um, 
the the Upanishads and Hindu in the Hindu mm. faith. All of these were elements of creation that brought about the physical manifestation of mankind. So they all started out as angels or agents of spirit that chose to take form in the physical. And so you see those um, cognates within the Western epistemology of Africa and within the Eastern epistemology of Africa. Dope, dope. Now, do you think we sometimes whenever, um, not necessarily me or you personally, but as a community, um, due to the fact that largely in America, um, we either deal with Christianity or Islam um, for, and that's been that way, you know, since we got here. In a lot of cases, don't get me wrong, we definitely brought our systems with us to the Americas and we formed uh, new systems while we were here. But the majority of our people nowadays, either Christian or Islam, right? So do you think whenever they look at or whenever if you are trained to look at things from that perspective do you think that whenever you start looking at the ontology in west africa or west african spiritual systems the proto proto sciences or even ancient egypt that we have a tendency to look at it through the western christianized lens instead of how they looked at it themselves uh, yeah, I do sometimes. I do believe that we do. Um, reason being is because these were people that were the ruling class of people. Mm -hmm. However, what we did, because we were culturally, uh, remember, when we first got here, we were continental Africans. Our right. ancestors were continental Africans. So this was before the antebellum period when we started to outnumber our African ancestors. Mm -hmm. And we were taking on Western traditions. So they had to adapt to the Christian reality but it doesn't mean they were conscious of Christianity. Mm. They only did it for survival mm -hmm. and they were instructed to do it. But mind you, these Africans didn't even know English. Right. So the Bible that they were reading, they couldn't even comprehend it. Right. They had an overseer to give them a scope mm -hmm. of what the Bible was. So what we did, we started creating syncreatic uh, equivalences mm -hmm. to be able to add depth to the Christianity. That's mm -hmm. where you would get the Baptists and the Methodists and we would do church just a little bit different mm -hmm. than our Anglo-Saxon counterparts. Mm -hmm. And we would do, you know, we would have periods of mountain, which we would call in the South, catching the Holy Ghost, right. where they wouldn't do that in a lot of European classes because they looked at it as witchcraft, mm -hmm. or we looked at it as Vodun synchronized into Christianity, mm -hmm. or we would look at it as Santeria coming by way of South America and the Central Americas. So we would, we would um, protect our crab by mm -hmm. synchronizing into Christian Christian faith and into the saints, which are the uh, Catholic faiths. Um, it didn't, uh, we weren't necessarily uh, desensitized for our cultural center, mm -hmm. but we created something that gave birth to the consciousness movement today, which is called the Black Church. Mm -hmm. So the Black Church was a synchronization of Sudanese Creole, Western Africa, um, some parts of East Africa synchronized by way of South America and Central America into the Southern states. And we just use Christianity as a, as a, a banner or a working tool to bring everyone together. Because there were so many of us that in Africa, we would have never met each other. Right. Like the Mandinka would have never met the Asante. Right. One, it was just too many square miles in between the two. And you know, in Africa, it was just as much bigotry, really almost racism in Africa. It was just a form of tribalism mm -hmm. as opposed to the form of chattel uh, slavery here in America. Right, indeed. And once we got here, you might have all of that on one plantation. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Um, 
I kind of that I kind of want to go into a little bit more of as far as the revolutionary aspect of the early black church, right? Because uh, I was I've been reading a lot about that um, lately, and uh, I just got a book in the mail. Um, it was uh, I think it's called uh, the Black Church and the uh, Father's Civilization, uh, and it was like um, it was uh, written in 1919 by the AME Church, and mm. um, and then you know you even go on throughout the and uh, well even actually during slavery where we would interpret a lot of gospel songs in a way where it actually meant us being physically free from slavery. And then all the way down into the 60s and where, where you had the deacons of defense and you had the, uh, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, I guess the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and a lot, you know, and the church bombings and, uh, you know, which were the actual stations where uh, community organization and organizing was happening but I just wanted to just build a little bit about that because you, you you brought it up as far as like the origin of the black church um, not what it is now but what it what it was then can you just speak on some of that yeah the origin of the black church was like headquarters to give out information and status quo of the nation mm. it was the epicenter of black nationalism mm. religion was just the backdrop to protect the information as it was assimilated back and forth because back then knowledge could get you killed Yes. Reading again literally gets you killed. It was either one or two things. You read, and if the slave master could, I don't, sorry, I don't like that word. If the slave trader mm -hmm. was able to utilize you in that sense, you were most of the time in an overseer or dignitary capacity. Or if you became a threat because of your intelligence, or you had a threat to um, mobilize and to go against, because we had a lot of uh, revolts. Mm -hmm. uh, we weren't as passive as history tries to right. make it make out. You were dealt with swiftly because they knew that you would cause a problem, mm -hmm. that you were a point of influence. So when we did meet up in church, we actually discussed uh, matters of where are we and how do we allocate our resources and also use it as a means of camaraderie. And if you notice, even in church today, especially the black church, there's a lot of inspiration, mm -hmm. but there's not necessarily scripture. Right. Um, because we use this as a means to, to say hello and meet up with each other, have communion, mm. have dinner, eat food and break bread and pray over the food together. Because we didn't see each other that much when we went back home to the plantations and working on field hands. This is how we started producing children. The, our marriages were occurring in the black church. Wow. It's like, you know, the earliest forms of our modern day clubhouses, Facebooks and YouTubes mm -hmm. was really what the black church kind of segued into because we just couldn't walk down the street. Hey, what's up, man? Right. If three or more black people came together, man, they could be lynched. Right. Like, what y'all right. niggas doing uh, congregating? What y'all talking about? Right. So, right. and it was purposely done. It was highly scientific. We were actually bred for certain types of dispositions. And if we if we fell out of that category, we were immediately ostracized or dealt with. So the black church was a safe haven for our social activity. Wow, indeed, indeed. Um, powerful answer i mean and that's right and i mean that's right and exact and well very well said it's uh, um i like the point about as far as uh relating it to like there was no obviously there was no social media then and we did not see each other the way um we are able to connect with each other the way we are now and so that was a place um of 
um, connection, connecting with the community and connecting with your people. And I think a lot of that gets lost whenever we um, look at that in history. And I definitely appreciate you for bringing that part up. Um, I know that, uh, are, are you a Mason or is that something that you, um, do you consider yourself a Mason? Yes. Okay. And so um, with that, there are a lot of obviously misconceptions on what masonry is and our you know uh, like in the 90s they all all these conspiracy theorists would put out uh, you know conspiracy theory books based on on masonry and anybody that ever said the word masonry or related themselves to being a mason was looked at as you know some person or part of the, some global elite to you know rule the world but in actuality what does it mean to be a mason well, a mason is a, is a study of human behavior, mm. the study of the human mind, um, the development of the human mind, knowing how to learn, how to think, and how to study, um, and understanding the nature of man. It has nothing to do with any, uh, of course, Illuminati aspects. That came from some Bavarian people that went against their own people, right? Because they wanted they they felt that that knowledge was being kept from them, mm. so they wanted to be illuminated with the knowledge of what's going on in the real world. And that eventually gave way to things like new world order and stuff like that, just because of evolution and the way the human mind works. Um, we create hyperbole all the time. Right. Africans, our hyperbole came from the griot, the storyteller. Mm -hmm. He would accentuate the story, use his voice with annotation and pitch. Europeans call it NLP, Neuro Linguistic uh, Programming. We call it um, preaching. We call it, you know, <laughs> Soothsaying. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it's cultural equivalence there. So African masonry is different than European masonry. That's the caveat. The masonry that's in America came by, came by way of York Wright and was then given international jurisdiction through Scottish Wright. Mm -hmm. So the United Grand Lodge of England gave charter to uh, European guilds to operate under guild groups that would use tradesmen to become part of uh, different uh, fraternities fraternal orders. And they would pay dues and they would literally build towns together and they would move as tradesmen and become influential. Well, as black people, we had priests and different priests in different villages that would do the same thing. But it was just wasn't called masonry because we didn't have a word for it back then. We'd have different systems. Uh, Apollo, um, Condoble, um, Ifa. These were the same system, just like I Ching in China. Is the same system. So with, with masonry, uh, my particular rite of masonry, which means rituals of passage, um, would be ancient comedic more science masons because we dealt, we deal with the lineage of African ontology that got way to a gnosis system or universal system of knowledge. So it sometimes it gets overlaid because the European is dominant in the Masonic history over here in the West. Right. But masonry and Africa have been going hand in hand for 2000 years, it's been Songhai, the Songhai Empire shows how industrious we were. Our history of metallurgy shows mm -hmm. how industrious we were. And that's what the Masons were. They were builders and they understood science and they understood sociology and psychology under the seven liberal arts and sciences. Indeed, indeed. And it's the, and there's a few things I wanna uh, touch on when it comes to masonry. First is the, um, is the uh, the square and the compass a universal symbol of masonry, or is that just what 
um, is used by, uh, I guess, certain lodges or certain certain rites, as you would say? Yeah, it's a universal system. It has a outer meaning, mm-hmm. which is an exoteric meaning, mm-hmm. and then it has an esoteric meaning in allegory to what that symbol actually means. And the Cobblestone Square deals with the form of creation. It deals with the womb. It deals with the womb in the mind and the womb in the physical solar plexus of the body and how they uh, cr- create a, um, a duality in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's say Egypt, they would call it the Amduat. In Nigeria, they would tell the story of the Ibeji, mm-hmm. so the duality of self, the off and the on, the good and the bad, mm-hmm. the less and the lesser. Um, and so we would have the great diviner. In Africa, it would be Eshu. In yes. Nordic religion, it would be Loki. Mm. Um, all of these are, are equivalents when we understand the motifs that are involved with each of these religious icons that I spoke of earlier, which give allusion or allegory to the human experience. Mm-hmm. And they're just expressed through human stories. So the compass and square, even though it has a physical usage, if you notice, it's used to measure and build. Right. If I'm writing on a piece of paper and I'm using a blueprint, I'm going to use that, that compass to circumscribe any actions that I have within that circle or the parameter of the circle, and then I'm going to use the square to create definitive points at 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Pythagorean's, that's Pythagorean's theorem, mm-hmm. A plus B equals C. Mm-hmm. So we know that one squared object will give open to a vast um, uh, outcome, mm-hmm. A plus B equals C. So it's just, those things are just emblematical. That's okay. all. Indeed, indeed. And so... Um, what do, is there a universal, uh, idea or a universal consensus on where, uh, m- not modern masonry, but masonry period where it originated? Um, you know, because I, I think there was a book, um, I read it a long, long time ago. We probably, I'm pretty sure you read it, but it was, uh, I believe it was, uh, something of the Christianity, Islam and Freemasonry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, you know, he talked about in that book um, a lot of, you know, he, he looked at the ancient Egyptians, especially the pyramid builders, as masons. Would you look at them as masons as well? Yes, they're, they're masons that were understood to be masonry through the Europeans' eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a period of Egypt that was called Egyptomania, mm, okay. which, which actually contradicted everything African. If you notice today, bro, you don't see people from Nigeria saying, oh, man, I can't wait to get to Egypt. Right, right, right. right. You don't hear, you don't hear <laughs> any Zulus, which are close by, Eritreans, mm-hmm. Ethiopians. They're not saying, oh, my God, I can't really validate myself as an African until I get to Egypt. Right. So when people like Flanders Petrie started digging up Egypt, which violated the ontology of Africans, we do not touch our dead. Exactly, right. We do not right. disrupt the dead resting in the ground mm-hmm. because that's where we sow our seeds on top of the dead in order to yield the crops. Mm-hmm. We would bury our crops over our cemeteries. Wow. So we didn't play that. That's so wow. when understanding the behavior of African people, you could see how Egypt and their ability to try to understand the esoteric meaning behind the um, deities of Egypt they gave the they just threw the misnomer masonry on top of on top of Egypt, but there were definite aspects of ontology which is masonry mm-hmm. in Egypt. It was ancient ontology that dealt with the cosmology and cosmogony of the relativeness of the universe within and without human beings. Universe that resists that exists within us, 
and around us. And that's really what the ontology talked about. Indeed, indeed. I, and I always kind of had a fascination about the Hiram Abiff story. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, to be honest with you, I, I've always read about it, but I've never had a chance to, with somebody who knew that story, uh, just had a chance to build with somebody about the esoteric nature of that story. Is that, would you be able to, um, what is, what does Hiram Abiff symbolize? Harm Abiff symbolizes resurrection. Mm. Harm Abiff symbolizes a person that had a revelation of who they really are. They discovered themselves mm -hmm. and they knew that they had to shed their old ways and be reborn and revitalized with new knowledge mm -hmm. and how new knowledge is always a rebirth. Mm -hmm. So Hiram Abiff represents rebirth just like um, Osiris represents rebirth. Mm -hmm. You know, it, 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 it's a, it's a, a Christ represents rebirth. So it's it's um Hiram Biff rising from the ashes with courage and vigor, like you know, mm -hmm. uh with the seasons, he's correlated with the seasons. Mm -hmm. So Hiram Biff really represents resurrection and a renewal of consciousness. Indeed, indeed. That's dope. Um yeah and whenever we look at a lot of the different um, nations and institutions that we uh, started creating during slavery and after slavery that were um, that were designed to wake the black man and woman up and also to give them a community um, and uh, and in some instances what they would consider a nation. Um, you have people like uh, Prince Hall, um, Marcus Garvey. Um, and then, you know, you have uh, Elijah Muhammad came in the world. Before that, you also had the AME Church, the building of the AME Church. Um, you had uh, then, uh, you know, Elijah Muhammad and uh, uh, you also had Noble Drew Ali. And and so and then, uh, you know, it was like an order to things. Right. Mm -hmm. what, but one thing I realized that a lot we don't we don't really talk about. Um, and I know you're not a Prince Hall Mason, but I, we don't really talk about who he was a lot. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it's It seems to, there's a lot of mystery around who he was. When it comes to the others, like, you know, when it comes to Marcus Garvey, Elijah Muhammad, Noble Drew Ali, we know a lot about these people. Um, why do you think there's a lot of mystery around who Prince Hall is? Um, because he might not have even existed. There's wow. not a lot of data that corroborates his existence. Wow. <laughs> with, the, with the Prince Hall, one thing about Prince Hall that's contradictory, mm -hmm. the Prince Hall Masons of today chose amity to, to operate as Masons under the charter of the United Grand Lodge of England. Mm -hmm. However, the founder, Prince Hall, was so upset with England because he couldn't get his charter. He was from a mixed, from mixed parents mm -hmm. or two different ethnic groups of parents mm -hmm. that he felt that Africans had a right to represent the ontology of their culture. And that's why he started with his very first lodge, Africa Lodge number 459. Mm. He said Africa Lodge, he didn't say England. Mm. And that created a problem. So the, the Scottish Rite uh, would not allow Prince Hall um, International Charter. They actually didn't get their international charter to around 2007, 2008. Wow. Um, so they're just, they're, they're probably, they're new as being recognized as an international charter. Mm. And so, um, it, 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 it's very inconsistent because 
the Prince Halls of Masons of today contradict their founder. And their founder came from the order of the Shriners that was started in Chicago, Illinois, the Arabic order of the mystic Shrine. Yeah, okay. So okay. it's kind of a conflict there because the Shriners were not necessarily Masons, but they deal with more of the mystic and occult forms of knowledge, such as the Bedouin people of Islam mm -hmm. or the Gnostics of Christianity. Mm -hmm. So they weren't as much of Bible thumpers or uh, Quran believers because they looked at God as something that existed within and within the realm of the astral plane, the mind. Mm. And that just didn't sit well with colonialists right. that were trying to build a, a national religion. And they wanted Christianity of the Protestant type to be the prevailing um, government because the government consisted of 13 colonies at that time. And all of them were Masonic guilds. And they were protesting against the Catholic church. And so then you had different types of protesters breaking off from the church and they were called Protestants. Mm -hmm. And particularly the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants definitely had a problem with black slaves practicing ontology. Right. That was outside of their paradigms. Because that was in the late 1700s when Prince Hall, when they say he came to America, right? That's correct. Right. Um, and so, yeah. I, I didn't think you were going to, I didn't think you were going to say as far as he might not have existed. I, I, didn't, I wasn't ready for that one. Um, I'm not your typical Mason, man. I don't believe in them games with all that <laughs> foolishness and all that kind of, that's foolish. That's foolish, man. Masonry is African. So I'm not going to hide us by antiquity. I'm not going to do that. Indeed. It, like, do you think, because I remember um, one time, uh, I, I want to say you were on Sarnetta and you were doing a presentation on um, masonry and uh, I thought it was a dope presentation and I remember somebody called up right and that body uh, real quick that bodied up real quick yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> but uh <laughs> what um so is there like some so and I'm not I'm not going to generalize all Prince Hall Masons or anything like that right. but right. do you see is there elitism within black masonry as if like uh, you know, if you don't have a charter with such and such, or then you're not real. Is that kind of thing? Is this? Yes. There's a lot of bigotry in Black Mason. Um, you know, I took uh, a personal, because I'm a, I'm one of the founders of my um, my right. Mm -hmm. uh, my right is an Egyptian right. Dope. Um, and, you know, I've had to uh, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Black Masons that are allowing themselves to be industrialized by, you know, the Oriental class. Mm -hmm. And the Orients uh, dealt in um, subjugation by way of industrialism, which is communism, fascism, socialism, capitalism. And that's what uh, Black Masons fight over. Mm -hmm. They fight over commerce. Mm -hmm. And they, wow. got that, they got that from the chattel slave concept, mm -hmm. the breeding concept. I mean, it was the European that was the racist. Uh, to be a racist means you sell people on race, not mm -hmm. ethnic culture. Mm -hmm. So if I could sell people on a shade of skin, skin, I could sell a product. Right. Well, light-skinned women produce this type of looking person mm -hmm. because a slave trader, that's what they did. They would purposely mix a certain body type with a certain skin type to get an overall composite type. Mm -hmm. And so Masons treated that the same way when it came to certain rights. Uh, our rights have to be substantiated through Europeans. No, we're 6,000 years older than the United Grand Lodge of England. Mm -hmm. We've been practicing ontology. Mm -hmm. Masonry is a, a, a slang. Mm -hmm. It means master builder. 
Mm. The master builder of what? Masonry says that it's the master builder of the temple without nail or hammer. That's what that means. What else could it be except this temple? Right. What else could it be? Right. So to try to minimize it to something literal gives way to the weaponized form of religion. Yeah. And that's what led to the civil war with uh, Constantine and all that kind of stuff when those who wanted to protect the religion in its sacredness and those that wanted to turn it into a literal religion. Yeah, that's all I was going to say. You could see that now with a lot of different religions. And it brings me back to something that you said earlier, right? And I want to build on that some. Um, mm -hmm. Recently, I watched a uh, documentary. Um, it was really dope. It was the brother that... Um, the brother that played Sinke in Amistad, I forgot his name, but he yeah. um, he uh, uh, shot a video, I'm sorry, a documentary about uh, Voodoo and and um, he wanted to, you know, kill the the uh, uh, the negative image that Hollywood um, has shown uh, or has given to Voodoo. And and uh, it was interesting because how you brought up the you know, in church, the Holy Spirit, right? And <laughs> they were showing some of their voodoo ceremonies and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference except for the fact that they weren't in a church. And even yeah. some of them, they combine, they were in a church <laughs> and they could, and they combined voodoo within, um, within the church. And I just, I thought that was dope the way he showed that. But if you can um, just speak on like how those things relate and and there's a lot of people, I think there's a lot of mystery around Houdoun as well. A lot of people, um, they take the Hollywood, you know, uh, what Hollywood has told them, what uh, society has told them, everything has that has been African that came over here at some point has been demonized. Um, yeah. And I know that you're a very well studied man. So like as far as Houdoun and some of the uh, things that we brought with us. I mean, if you can just build on that some, because I think that's a great topic that uh, uh, the people who watch the show will definitely enjoy. Oh, most definitely, man. I appreciate the accolades. I appreciate the edification. Uh, Vodun is a system of uh, knowledge that deals with the aspects of nature mm -hmm. and understanding the relativity that we have as human beings in nature, our role in nature. Mm -hmm. All of us play a role in nature. So when we deal with certain things like animals, animal sacrifices, that's one of the biggest things in Vodun. Mm -hmm. They show pictures of people drinking animal blood and all this. Well, when you go to the grocery store and you buy a steak, what do you think you're doing? Right. It's, it's a communion. Mm -hmm. This is why we prayed over our food. This was a hoodoo practice. Us giving blessing over food is literally a hoodoo practice. Wow. It's literally a spell. We're giving thanks to the nature and, and protect our food and make a, and nourish our bodies. Well, it's the same concept in Vodun. That's where it came from. It's the ultimate reverence of nature and what nature has to offer, whether it yields the plant or it yields the meat. We, we actually give reverence to those things. We want to work in symmetry with the animals and other organisms in the universe. We also want to work in tandem with the elements of nature that create the weather. Mm -hmm. we, we, we all try, it, it's, it's a system of synchronization. So we, it's, it's, it's um, grossly, um, misrepresented because it does not have the religious aspects that one may think. It is highly scientific and highly technical. And those who practice Vodun are very conscious that that energy is starting here. Mm 
Yes. It's starting in the brain and it's created in the mind. Mm-hmm. We don't take it and put it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. When we see altars and idols, we know that it's an extension of our inner consciousness. Mm-hmm. So how I feel on the inside is what I represent in the totem mm-hmm. or what I represent in the statue. But I don't look at the statue to bring me our reverence. I give reverence to that inanimate object. Mm-hmm. So we understand that the ultimate divine power comes from self. This is where people even in Kemet came with the moniker Know Thyself because of a simple fact that we are fully aware that we play a major role in our existence and we are the epicenter of our creation. So Vodun gets a bad um, rap because it outdates um, Greco-Roman and romanticization mm-hmm. by 10,000 years. Wow. And so our system um, that we adopted was, was um, synchronized into Mason. Mm-hmm. But masonry is Vodun. Wow. A lot of the rituals, a lot of the rituals in masonry for initiation come strictly from Vodun, and they're just changed for ethnic purposes. The Europeans changed some of those things because they wanted it to fit their religious paradigm. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. I don't have a problem with European masons. Just stay out of my business. Right, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm African. Let me do my thing. You do your thing. Right. And so what happens was Europeans started understanding that science because the only way they can get the science was to study us. Mm-hmm. So they started hanging more so around us and started learning these systems. Like even Ifa and African systems today, you'll see more Europeans practicing as Babalawas than you will Black. Yo, I'm glad you said that. I, I bought a book. And all right, so one thing before I even go there, mm-hmm. uh, one thing I noticed about Voodoo, they... Like you said, as far as keeping it sacred, they don't write books about it. No. They, like, you know, like, because I've looked, like, they don't do that. And I, I think, but I understand why, you know, if it's that sacred and, and they want to keep it that way, um, then I, I get it. But I will say this. I bought a book recently, probably earlier this year, and it was a book on um, Ifa and I didn't, there, I'm pretty sure there was a lot of books that I, on Ifa that I could have bought that were better than this, but it's just the one that I got because I, I didn't know any better at the time. And it was a white Babalao that wrote it. And I was, I was kind of shocked. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, with you, uh, with you, I know you, do you practice Ifa or? Yes, I'm an Arisha priest. Okay. So this was interesting in this book he was told that um he that he, okay so that ifa that the orisha were his ancestors as well right mm-hmm. but it sounded like he might have been told that because the and the babalao that was telling him was possibly using him for you know, for whatever, or it may be true, but can Europe, like, so what are your thoughts on Europeans practicing these West African spiritual systems? I don't like it at all. Yeah. I was, I was, I was deaf upon. <laughs> um, I've, I've, I've been around Europeans and I've gone, <laughs> I mean, you want me to be honest, man, I'm going to put it out there because I'm not, as, I, I live this every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've done I've gone into possession or what they say trance, and my egum, which is the ancestor realm, when I was around the Europeans that were 
being initiated along with me, they were telling me to kill him. Damn. And it took everything I had to hold it. Mm-hmm. Because when you think about it, we're not just continental Africans. Now, some other stuff may have happened in Africa that me and you may not know anything of. Mm-hmm. But I'm a byproduct of antebellum Africans. Mm-hmm. We're outnumbering continental Africans four to one. Right. By the time I was born in 1970, there were no more of those. Right. We were American Africans right. that were descendants of Africans. Right. So our ancestry is built on war. Mm-hmm. So we have a warlike spirit. That's what makes African-Americans the most formidable and the strongest of all African diaspora. Mm-hmm. All Africans around the world look to me and you as leaders. Indeed. Because we've gone through so much because mm-hmm. we have a warrior spirit. Mm-hmm. Our literal ancestors' blood is on the ground we stand on. Mm-hmm. We may not have the artifacts of 5,000, 10,000 years, just like Africa. There's trees in Africa thousands of years old mm-hmm. that people still congregate around. But we came here and we went to war. And we shed blood. We fought in every major war in the United States. So with that kind of lineage and the ancestors that are resting in the ground that died for us, we have a warrior spirit. Like I'm a priest of Ogun. Mm-hmm. That means that I have to operate in war. I right. can't operate in peace. And you being the Anglo-Saxon, you play, your ancestors played a role in killing us. Right. So I have to complete my cycle. I am trained by the Asante. It's Sankofa. I got to give you what you deserve. Mm. I got to bring balance. I come with Tahuti. I come with the scribe. It's written down that you have to be dealt with. Or I violate my family. Right. Right. I'll be first. So a lot of times, a lot of people, if you don't study your culture, you'll think it's just violence. No, it's obligation. Mm. It's obligation. Our blood makes us African, not our skin color. Right, right, It's our blood. And we worship our ancestors to the highest degree. The ancestors are more valuable than the Orisha. Mm. The Orisha are nothing more but universal symbols of nature that gives us relativity. They are similar to angels in Christianity. Mm. They're just universal symbols. But we are directly tied to our egum. So our ancestors walk and live and breathe through us. So we have something we have to stand on. So I do not, I do not take it lightly at all, man, when I see Europeans practicing my, my elders' uh, religion. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care for it at all. Yeah, and, and, and when I... When I was reading, so I think the forward, they were, that was one of the first things that he mentioned. And it just seemed like, it just seemed like uh, the person that told him that and, and put him on had some ulterior motives probably involving money. And it just didn't sit right with, it didn't sit right with me because now he, as a Babalao, he's putting himself in a position where, because uh, there's no, there, I'm pretty sure the people that come to him aren't white, right? So he's putting himself in a position as a white man teaching us a black religion. Like that seems that's that his people cut us off from during the transatlantic slave trade. That just, that seems weird, man. That it seems off, and it, it, I didn't I didn't like it either, to be honest with you. Um, speaking of Ifa, though. And even Voodoo, I, I noticed uh, in that documentary, because um, he kind of dealt with uh, a, a little bit of um, Ifa as well, but a lot of people in America, and it's, it's very weird, but a lot of people in America have an issue with the animal sacrifice, right? But he was saying, hey, look, the animals that you eat now in America, are treated worse than the animals that are sacrificed in these spiritual traditions 
these West African spiritual traditions. And after, and even when we sacrifice the animals, is what he was saying. We're feeding, we're, we're feeding the community with that. And we and we raised that, like like in, in West Africa, and, and they raised that goat or they raised that chicken or whatever it was. Um, if you can um speak on why within voodoo or ifa um uh, animal sacrifice is important what does it symbolize um it symbolizes the connection of nature because nature provides mm. nature provides a sustenance in the form of animals that are used for food or animals that are also used as con conduits to the particular orisha or elders that we connect to so it's the actual blood of the animal and the characteristic of the animal that is given in spirit. And that's why we exchange the spirit for a spirit. Mm -hmm. So when we exchange that spirit, it is a very solemn and um, very serious occasion. And that animal is given uh, reverence and prayer because they are sacrificing for our well-being. Indeed, indeed. And so, I mean, and now, I mean, look at how we consume fast food and all that stuff here in America. I mean, that, that just, you know, I don't think an American, um, especially one that is looking at our uh, stuff uh, at, with a negative eye, I don't think they have any room to talk, man. So, no. I, uh, um, and so, uh, well, I know you are a business owner. You also teach uh, financial literacy. Uh, mm -hmm. So I want to dig into that a little bit. Um, what are some of the biggest mistakes that we make uh, with our finances as a people? I'm just not knowing the fundamental of what finances mean. Mm -hmm. Finances mean money management. Mm -hmm. So it's the, it's the attitude towards money that makes it hard to attain money and keep it and manage it properly. Mm -hmm. um, the way that this econ economic system is set up, you actually don't need a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But the problem is our habits require a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, the bad mentality around money requires us to have to replace it at an alarming rate because we spend it recklessly. There is a system and a skill to how we attain and spend money. So if you follow that system, then you will live an adequate life. Now, if you want to live an extravagant life, mm -hmm. if you don't want to live at your mean, but you want to live above it, then that means that you have to add more income. Right. It usually requires more manpower. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times in our psyche, we want to take a shortcut mm -hmm. to wealth instead of following the proper steps to work. You want to be a great free throw shooter, you go to practice, okay, they may shoot two, 200 free throws, you're going to have to shoot 700. Mm -hmm. So when everyone's gone from practice, you still have to practice shooting free throws because you want to be the best. Well, the same thing applies in the gym when you're trying to fix your body. Same thing applies when you want to fix your finances. You got to go above and beyond if you want average. It's like what my old man used to tell me, man, when he was teaching me finance. Don't bring any seeds in my house. And I would always ask, why, Dad? It's passing. He says, no. C's means you're just at the top of the average people. You're at the top of the worst. Mm. C doesn't mean you pass. just means that you're at the top of the worst. But if you want to be the top of the elite, you got to do the, the best. And so when it comes to finance, there are definite um, steps to becoming mm. financially secure. Becoming financially wealthy is automating those steps at... Uh, um, in a multiple fashion in order to do that. So that would mean you need more than one stream of a system mm -hmm. that brings you in consistent money. Indeed, indeed. I, um, I know a lot of people um, in the community, you know, they read a lot of the 
rich dad, poor dad books and those kind of things? Are those are, are the information in those books good or is it is it is that just kind of like a, a beginner's way of looking at things? Um, what do you what do you suggest for people who are, you know, want to kind of create uh, new habits as far as with their finances, uh, new positive habits? Um, uh, where do they go? Where do they look? Yeah, um, you kind of want to just become a student of finances. Mm -hmm. Learn what is money. How was money used? Mm -hmm. Learn the history of money. Learn what money is, what different types of money are there around the world. Become a student of the basics. Mm -hmm. Become a basic master of money. Mm -hmm. Then start learning economics. Mm -hmm. Because economics shows you how money works within the government and society of people. Mm -hmm. Then understanding what spending is and things like that. So it's it's taking the fundamentals and understanding those things so you can apply fundamental skills because the U.S. dollar or money period around the world is quite simple. You exchange money for services and or goods. Mm -hmm. right. A lot of times the black community gets pandered. Don't you want to be rich? I can make you rich in an hour. Mm -hmm. I got this magical oil that'll make you yeah. rich. Uh, we, get, we, we get pandered with those kind of things. There is no financial guru. There is someone that knows the basics and repeats the basics over and over again, mm -hmm. every single time, without fail. And the repetition is what's going to make you wealthy. It's not any brand new knowledge. Money's been around for almost 3,000 years. Mm -hmm. It's not going anywhere. So that being the case, learn the fundamentals behind it. I tell people, we're like, cryptocurrency is a new big deal. Cryptocurrency is highly fraudulent. The people that end up making money out of it is usually between one and five percent. Mm. Everybody, if everybody can make money in crypto, man, me and you would have did that shit a long time ago. <laughs> okay, so it's not that simple. Mm. And so it's understanding the fundamental aspects around money, bro. It's, it's right. not, it's not as intimidating as one may think. You just have to really apply yourself, and it, it, it'll work just fine. It work, and, and be around people that are vetted experts. If you learn and understand money, then that means you can vet the person that's teaching you. Mm -hmm. Don't let somebody teach you that's talking way over your head. Yeah. Nine time out of 10, they're lying to you. Right, right. And, you know, it's funny. Nowadays, you got all the, you got a lot of uh, cryptocurrency gurus. You have a lot of uh, Forex uh, gurus. Um, let's, let's start with crypto. Mm -hmm. um, I noticed that recently in the news, um, you know, a lot of people have, uh, First off, we know that a lot of these uh, cryptocurrencies are extremely volatile, and yes. um, it seems like they're so volatile. Where if somebody like Elon Musk will say, "Hey, I'm going to allow crypto to be, I'm going to allow you to you uh, buy Teslas with crypto, it'll go up," and then he'll say, "Nah, I changed my mind, and it drops." <laughs> right, like. For somebody to have that much power over um, a cryptocurrency, as somebody who is financially literate, what does that mean to you? That means that I'm, I'm risking suicide financially. Mm. Because think about this. The Bitcoin is valued at about 30,000, 35,000 what? Is it 35,000 cryptos or is it 35,000 mm dollars? -hmm. It's valued at dollars mm -hmm. because that means that in order to even benefit using that Bitcoin, what do you have to do? Convert it back to the dollar that you right. were trying to avoid. 
Right. Well, the minute you convert it back to a dollar, you got to pay usury tax because the government's saying, uh uh-uh. They're not going to make a whole lot of money under crypto and then come snatch uh, a million of our dollars. No, Mm -hmm. you're going to give us $450,000 of that million. Damn. Okay? And then you can have it. Mm -hmm. So you're still doing the same thing. You're Mm -hmm. still promoting tax. The United States dollar is legal tender. It's Mm -hmm. not money. It's tax. So, yeah, you're selling me I'm going to make a whole lot of money, but you're not telling me I'm going to make a whole lot of crypto. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you're telling me that I'm going to accumulate cryptos that are evaluated by the, the presiding dollar. Mm-hmm. Well, the dollar still is king over the crypto because that's the only reason people put the money in so they can get more money back. Right. If I if I if I could get a billion dollars in crypto and I never have to touch a dollar bill again in my life, hell yeah, let's get some crypto, dog. But right now, crypto is a good 15, 20 years from that even happening. So therefore, if I'm going to invest in crypto, I might as well invest in a money market that's going to give me dollar for dollar because I'm going to lose when the taxes hit. And a lot of people don't know that. And those altcoins, 95% of altcoins are fraudulent. They just give you the white paper. The white paper looks good. It goes IPO. The platform is created. The platform owners, they build it up so they can take a dip. People buy into the dip. They build it up again, snatch your money, mm-hmm. and it drops. Now you're stuck because you can't leave. Mm-hmm. So all the people that's been putting that money in Bitcoin, two months ago, it was 60000 Yeah. In two months, it dropped $30,000. That is called pump and dump. Yeah. So if I own the platform, which Elon Musk does, he's mm-hmm. invest- I think he's not investing in Bitcoin. He's talking about Dogecoin. Right. He's got, he's investing. It, 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 uh, case in point, I don't want to, you know, I'm going to land this plane here because it's really complex. But case in point, if you told me you wanted to be a McDonald's owner, mm-hmm. and you, we know McDonald's is a franchise, right? And you'd ask me as a financial advisor, how can I make this this franchise successful? I'm going to tell you, buy a Burger King. <laughs> and when you're done buying a Burger King, buy a Wendy's. And when you're done buying a Wendy's, buy a Arby's. And you're going to ask me why. Because you got to control the choice. If I control the choice, I win. It's called a monopoly. Right. I don't want you to run the risk of passing my McDonald's and driving in that Burger King. So I'm going to build the McDonald's up. I'm going to go three miles and build up another Burger King. And I'm going to control your choice. Either way you go, I win. So what makes you think the same platform owners are not owning a bit of Bitcoin, owning a bit of Dogecoin, mm-hmm. owning a bit of XRP? Right. Yes, they are. And so they're pushing the market. And when they decide to dip the market, they pull it. Because they know you're going to buy the dip. Right. Because they keep raising it up back. The Bitcoin has changed and dropped 714 times bro, since, since it was being created. That's how volatile it is. Mm-hmm. It has crashed 714 times. Wow. Wow. Um, okay. So with, with that said, um, where... In, all right. So in the near future, Right. Um, do you think that more companies will move to legitimize Bitcoin in the sense where, um, you know, how? OK, before we even go there. With Bitcoin being bad for the environment because of so many people mining it. Um, and the energy and, and what it does to energy uh, consumption, which is why Elon Musk, uh, uh, you know, criticized it and then it dropped. 
Um, is it even sustainable? Meaning like if they're using up, if all these uh, Bitcoin miners are using up all of this energy on all of these different grids all across, all across the world, what eventually is going to happen? Well, let's, let's put it this way. When it runs out, which is years from now, mm-hmm. they'll just add more Bitcoin. Okay. They'll just create more, more because the Bitcoin is based, I'm sorry, the crypto is based on the level of blockchain technology each coin is created with. Mm-hmm. So Bitcoin has a high level of, of blockchain technology, mm-hmm. whereas a Monero's technology may not be as good as the Bitcoin, which limits their ability to have strong usage. Mm-hmm. So Bitcoins or cryptos or Ethereum, Litecoin, they're traded based on their effectiveness and the development of those companies' blockchain technology. How many encryptions were you able to create? So what made Bitcoin the leading um, coin was because they started the earliest and they developed the most extensive um, blockchain technology because they were able to generate so many coins. So these other companies are trying to keep up by generating just as many coins. That's what makes a bit a coin valuable. Is it is its individual blockchain technology? Okay. Some coins technology is stronger, some are weaker, and they could be they could be broken and stolen. So that's why they don't gain much much ground. They call them shit coins. Dodge coin was a shit coin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shiba Inu right now. It's a big Mm -hmm. coin that they're predicting to blow up like Dodge coin because but the technology is cheap. Mm -hmm. But it may just blow. That's 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 the that's the risk that you take. As as somebody who is a, a financial advisor. Um, and we look at uh, state of America, even be- before the pandemic, but especially even, you know, while we're going through it, um, it's becoming a situation to where the people with wealth, even throughout the pandemic, their wealth is just doubling. The people who don't have it, like they just extended the... Uh, the uh, uh, what do you call it? The um, eviction uh, thing that they had for thirty more days, right? Um, but eventually, we we all know that that's going to run out, right? Right. Um, with the wealth gap of the wealthy, and I guess the is if there even is a middle class or you know working, I would I'd rather say working class. Um, with the with the gap widening every year every year like what eventually like what do you see eventually happening like does the is there something where the system will reset itself or are these people are just going to become so rich where they're more powerful than the government well what's happening is we're ascertaining wealth at a high rate mm-hmm. because of things like crypto and stuff we're coming across a lot of money but we're blowing more money than we ever have in our lives we are spending money like the average uh, guy will blow $3,000 renting a Lamborghini, mm-hmm. whereas they wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Now they're doing it. They're renting jewelry. Um, they're renting Airbnbs. So we're making more money, but we're giving ourselves more excuses to be pathological in the way that we create budgets mm-hmm. and how we handle our debt-to-income ratio. Uh, what's going to happen is we fail. We fail for the federal, the federal trick. Uh, when we were slaves, this is going all the way back to the Civil War. 
The Federalists gave us a deal. Hey, look, if you fight in our war, um, you're going to become employees of the federal government. We're going to give you an ID. And in return, we're going to make you serfs. You won't necessarily be free to do whatever you want to do, but you'll follow under the Bill of Rights and you'll be free citizens. Mm -hmm. Your vote will not count. It will only count as three-fifths of a vote, but that's just a clause that eventually will amend it. Right. All right? I and that's what Blacks did. We went for that. Boom. Henceforth, the working class. Mm -hmm. So we, the middle class is stronger than ever, actually. The middle wow. class is what keeps the economy going. Mm -hmm. You have middle class, upper middle class. You have working class. You have working poverty. Mm -hmm. So middle class in the United States right now is $100,000. Wow. If you make $100,000 based on this economy, <laughs> you're in middle class. Upper middle class is $150,000. Wow. Now, the average person, if they get $150,000, they're both. Mm -hmm. That's just in a calendar year. But you lose 30% of what you gross. Mm -hmm. So when you take home you can lose up to $10,000 before you even cash your check because you got to pay taxes. Right. So the only way that we can offset that is learning, number one, how to leverage debt. You leverage debt with credit. Mm -hmm. You leverage debt with collateral that has appreciating value. You leverage debt by dumping the U.S. dollar. Stop using it. Stop mm -hmm. holding what do you mean stop using it? Use credit. Mm -hmm. Use other people's money. Use the bank's money. Mm -hmm. You don't have to use the U.S. dollar if you don't want to. It's just that we do. And case in point, if you, you, could, you could have your own secure credit card. You can use your money to secure a credit card. It doesn't have to be unsecured. Mm -hmm. You go to the grocery store to buy your groceries. Don't use your debit card. Your debit card is to debit the money you're spending. That's all it's good for. Take your credit card and go buy the $25 to $50 worth of groceries. Pay that credit card off in five days with the money that you were going to spend anyway. And get credit for buying groceries. Mm. Mm -hmm. You don't need the U.S. dollar because every time you use it, you're going to get this thing called a receipt. And when you look on that receipt, it's going to say sales tax. Yeah. So something says a dollar, but you're paying a dollar seven. Mm -hmm. So you're losing buying power by the rate of 700% because the one dollar is advertised as 99 cents. You get charged another eight cents. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know the, the basic mechanisms of how, of how exchange works, how currency exchange actually works, you'll see that you're buying into debt. Wow. And that's just, you know, that's how the U.S. dollar works. Wow, wow. And and so um, I know within the conscious community, uh, uh, you know, it's often mentioned how, uh, well, not just the conscious community, but people talk about this a lot, period, but how, you know, the dollar is fiat money, um, not backed by uh, any precious metal anymore. Um, the does that mean that it'll eventually collapse? It'll eventually collapse. Fiat currencies always do. Mm -hmm. um, but they're normally replaced with another form of uh, fungible income, mm -hmm. income that can be converted into change and, and, and different uh, partitions of change down to pennies um, or centurions. But what, what you, you can do, what you, what, you, what you can do with that, uh, that, that type of situation with fiat, you can use fiat to work for you. Because mm -hmm. fiat um, are legal tenders to open up contracts to get items of appreciation. Mm -hmm. So take the U.S. dollar, go buy some gold. Yeah. Never sell it. Keep your gold. Keep your mm -hmm. silver. Mm -hmm. um, money market accounts and stuff like that. Do that, you know, uh, and it, you'll maximize your dollar long term. Do, so people are still buying gold and silver? Most definitely. And how are yeah. you doing? 
doing very well. Gold has set a standard for 5,000 years, literally. Wow. Literally 5,000 years. Wow. It's never crashed. Wow. Wow. Never crashed. And, and it's not meant to be sold. Yeah. Gold is meant to be held to hedge in the event of a crash. Oh. See, a lot of people get gold. So why would you buy gold and turn right back around and exchange it for money? Right, right, right. Buy gold and you keep it. Because when that money crashes, guess what's going to be the only value you have? The gold. Oh, right. Or but the gold is insurance oh, yeah. for holding money. <laughs> I have $100 in gold. I need that. If I have $100 in cash, how can I not have $100 in gold? Right, every right, dollar right. I have in cash is to be matched with gold because gold insures the money. Mm -hmm. At one point, remember, money was backed by gold. Mm -hmm. right, it right, stopped right. it because the government could not regulate it because the public was equally as wealthy as the government. They couldn't have that. Right. Wow. Wow. And that's um, that's that's deep. Uh, I know um, you also. Uh, I've seen you build on um, having proper research and methodology when it comes to studying. And um, you know, a lot of times <laughs> these days, you know, uh, with everybody having a um, a voice through social media. There's a lot of misinformation um, that gets spread. And um, if you can, uh, for those that may be tuning in that um, are, you know, possibly just new to consciousness or, or wanting to, you know, are, are getting confused with, you know, uh, some of the things that they see being uh, pushed in uh, the conscious community. Uh, if you can, speak about how to build good study habits and how to properly research things for those who are, you know, just coming into their own. Right, right. Well, I use, I try to use current methods because information changes. It goes in and out. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I don't necessarily deal with information older than 1960. Mm -hmm. It's Technology is moving too fast. Technology mm -hmm. is ahead of science. Mm -hmm. Normally, science would develop, a science would develop around the technology because the technology would then say, hey, it would create a hypothesis and we use a scientific method. But now, technology is at blinding speed. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're dropping brand new cell phones every month down there. Right. Now they're splitting genes, CRISPR right. genes. They're doing stuff that's beyond. AI, machine learning and all that going on. Yes, all cars that drive themselves. Right. Electron electric cars. Right. The technology now is at, at, at an all-time high. NFTs. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it, it's an alarming rate. So we have to use what's current. So what I use is what's called the CRAAP method, the C-R-A-A-P. And that deals with currency, which is the timeline of the information. How current is the information? Mm -hmm. Our relevance, the importance of the information for your needs. What is the information actually going to do for you? Mm -hmm. Not just pulling information or begging the question, or uh, appealing to an authority just to validate a point. Right. Uh, you got to research. You got to be your own worst enemy when you're researching. You, when you research, you're trying to prove yourself wrong. Hmm. Right. You're not trying to validate what you think you know. You're trying to go against what you know. And in going against what you know, you'll find out if you, what you're talking about is real. Then you want to go through authority. What is the source of the information? And then you want to deal with accuracy, the reliability, the truthfulness, the correctness, is this research or is this just commentary? Mm -hmm. Someone talking about it doesn't necessarily make them an expert. And again, purpose. What is the reason for this particular um, item 
Was it at a convention? Was it at was it a clinical trial? Mm-hmm. A lot of people sometimes will data mine and quote mine just to fit their argument. But that source had nothing to do with their, their discussion at all. Right, right, right. And, I, I, you know, I see that within a lot of debates, too. Um, I've noticed that a lot of times I see a lot of things that are I view as disingenuous where people in – Instead of, like you just said, that's a great point where whenever you're researching, you, you should be trying to prove yourself wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when people research to only validate what they want, those confirmation biases start to kick in. And then the only thing you're doing is researching to prove that point instead of getting the truth, right? Instead of um, getting the understanding of what it is you're studying. Um, Why do you think we have, well, why do you think that, because I see it a lot lately and it's becoming more prevalent, but why do you you think that right now, misinformation is at an all time high, in my opinion, as far as what's being spread through the community? Um, why, Why do you think that is happening right now? Um, in my personal experience, I'm not the, the guru, but uh, mm-hmm. search engine optimization is mm-hmm. the single reason why there's mis- misinformation. And that's called SEO. Yeah. Um, search engine optimization is what Google AdSense, Bing, and other search engines use to optimize a particular article so that it ranks right. at the top of those pages. Mm-hmm. So a keyword specialist or SEO specialist will take an article and put high trending keywords in that article just to pull that article up. That doesn't mean it's credible. It just means you were too lazy to read it and you clicked on the first 10 passages. So a lot of that is created these Google scholars that just type in a word and they go off the keyword, but they don't go, they don't actually use case study and cross-reference. Right. They like if, if you're looking up genetics, you're going to have to pull case study. Mm-hmm. I don't, you, not definitive terms. You can't just talk about what autosomal DNA is. You have to show scientists using mm-hmm. autosomal DNA mm-hmm. to come up with a conclusion. If we're talking about history, well, you have to, you, you can't just give me an historical date and timeline because this is a history of human behavior. That's what history is. Right. You got to show me the archaeology, the paleontology, the seismology, the, the linguistics, the etymology of the linguistics, you got to show me a composite social study of a group of people that you're studying historically. What happens is these people will parse and then try to uh, beg the question to just create an anecdotal talking point. Right. I don't care if you say Holly Selassie 10 times. I don't say I care if you say Marcus Garvey 10 times. What was Marcus Garvey's upbringing? What was he thinking about? What was the proximity of New York at that mm-hmm. time? You can't right. just say Marcus Garvey was talking about 2021. He had no comprehension of 2021. Right. And then, no, you know, we don't have comprehension of what he was doing back then. Exactly. No, I know you brought up something and it kind of just made me think uh, because I, I, a lot of times, whenever we have these conversations about uh, historical things, um, we. Uh, it, so it takes a real researcher to be able to show the context of 
an era. You know what I mean? Um, and the connectedness of an era. And I noticed, um, and so I, I've, there are certain professors that I that I watch who are very skilled at doing that. But mm -hmm. you're, but you're right. If you're only looking at those keywords and you're only looking at a lot of times they don't even open the article. They look at the uh, thumbnail and the title and right. And then that's <laughs> that's all the information they need. And then um, and sometimes the, and what's funny how they do as far as uh, search engine optimization what's in the article might be something totally different than what that headline is. You know what I'm yes. saying? Yes, it's a fact. Um, it's a fact. But, it's definitely a fact. But yeah, man, I I, I just want to let you know, brother. I really, really appreciate you for coming through. G, uh, it's been uh, it's been dope, man. Um, and you know, we gotta run it back. We gotta do it again. A lot more to talk about. I like to kind of keep it within like an hour, twenty minutes. So, um, yes, sir. but um, for those who um, uh, will be tuning in and wanna, you know, uh, I guess follow you maybe on social media or uh, just hear some more of the jewels that you drop. How can they? Uh, how can they follow you? Where Where you at? All right. Uh, you can find me uh, on, on Facebook. I'm um, at Consul Sheshmore Moon. Um, on Facebook, you can find me uh, in my email, my personal email, Albert Higgins19 at gmail.com. Appreciate you, bro. Um, and uh, man, you have a good one. Uh, we'll def definitely be in touch soon, man. Because like I said, I got some more I want to ask you. So we got to we got to run this one back, G. No doubt, man. No doubt, man. Timo Osiris is on the horizon. Timo Osiris is on the horizon, man. Peace, bro. Peace and love, brother.